I am here, but God wants me there. How do I get from here to there? And in life's journey, we often think to ourselves, well, life's journey, if I'm following the Lord, has to be smooth and easy. There's no ups and there's no downs. But that's not what we find at all in reality. We know that life is full of ups and downs and back and forth and we take forward steps for God and sometimes we take backward steps for him but we're always called to be moving forward in our relationship with him but there's a lie that the world tells us and the lie that the world tells us is you can have it all and I'll talk to men for a moment and use men as the example men you can have the perfect family and the perfect wife, and if you're sitting next to your wife, look at her and go, yes, I've got that part. And I've got the perfect family, the perfect wife. Yeah, I also with that, everyone's going to get along well. Church life is going to be balanced where I have time with my family and, and time to opportunity to serve God. But also with that, I can have a career that I totally ignore my family and totally ignore my responsibilities and God's called me. So therefore, I can have my, responsi- my, uh, my career as well. And the lie that the world tells us is that you can have it all, and that's not the case at all. You cannot totally live for the world and totally live for God. It doesn't work that way at all. And in our lives, there are ups and there are downs. There are times when we feel close to God, and sometimes we feel very distant from Him. Sometimes we feel like we're walking right in step with Him, and every step of the way we've seen and experiencing God's blessings, and we're looking around thinking, God, you're doing all of this, and we're praising Him. Other times we're feeling like we're all by ourselves. But not for one moment of one day have we not been under the control and the power of God. Our principle for today is this. And every Sunday we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And the principle is, what I believe determines my actions. What you believe about God, what you believe about your relationship with Him, what you believe about others, you know, what you believe about, I'll use a very simple example. You looked outside today and you may have gone, hmm, it looks cold. Now some of you didn't think through that and you wore shorts today. And now you're cold. But others, if you looked outside and go, I'm going to put my winter jacket or I'm going to bring an umbrella. The other day, my son was going to school and he catches the bus and he had to go out and to catch the bus. And the dark clouds were on the horizon and they were very close. And he did not read the signs or he may have seen them, but his belief did not determine his actions. And on his way to school, it poured down rain and his mother had purchased him an umbrella that he did not bring. And we purchased him a rain jacket that he did not wear. And therefore, he was sloppy wet all day long. That's the joy about being a pastor's son is that you get to be used as, as illustrations. And that's a true story this week. But what I believe determines my actions. Now, we've been using the illustration of the children of Israel and how God has worked in their life and grown them and developed them. I'll give you a quick background. The children of Israel were slaves generationally. And they were slaves, and they, in their slavery, they cried out to God. We see in Exodus chapter number 1, and God says, I heard their cry. 
And then God rose up and developed over the course of 80 years a man named Moses. And he called Moses through the burning bush experience that he had. And God literally said, I am sending you back to Egypt to talk to the world superpower of the day. And I want you to stand before the king who can cause your death in a second and tell him, I want you because this God in the wilderness told me from a bush that I want you to let all your slaves go so they can go worship this God in the wilderness. God came alongside Moses and he gave him this encouragement in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. And it's an underlying theme through the entire book. You see, Moses responded the way that you and I probably would naturally respond. I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I can't speak. Who am I? I'm a nobody. And God came along with this incredible encouragement. He says, he, that is God, said, but I will be with you. Where you are right now, you may be thinking to yourself, I know that there's a God who loves me and cares for me, but my circumstances don't line up with what I know to be true. And how do we have that balance between what I know in my head and my feelings? Oftentimes, my feelings don't align up with reality at all. Just because I don't feel that God is with me every step of the way, that's a fact, not a feeling. And Moses had to learn that lesson. And he went out and he led the children of Israel through some miracles and plagues that God brought upon Egypt. And they led them out of Egypt through the parted Red Sea. God defeated the Egyptian army. They celebrated. Then they were hungry and thirsty and God provided food and water for them. They were attacked by the Amalekites and they defeated that army quite miraculously again. Then through that, through the rest of the book of Exodus, we see that God gave them the law. And Moses was on top of Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights with the law of God. He was glowing when he came down. And there's a whole, whole, whole incredible account through, through that story. And then he, God gave them the, the, their worship and how they were to worship in the tabernacle. And they set up the area, area of worship, the tabernacle. And then from that, they, they had all the implements and the tools. And then it showed them the, the beautiful symbolism of the sacrifices and the covering of the sin, which is eventually would be Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, covering the sin of the, the entire world. They had all of that and the, with the understanding all the way through, but I will be with you. They had the manna, which is the food from heaven. They had the water. They had the protection of God. And they knew it in their head. God said, but I will be with you. We're going to leave the book of Exodus and go to the book of Numbers, chapter number 13 and 14. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers, chapter number 13. We're going to get there in just a few moments' time. Because here we have the children of Israel has come through, they've traveled, and they've come right to the edge of the promised land, the land that God had given to their great-great-great-great-grandfather their Abraham. And he promised them that land. And he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and through you. The entire world is going to be going to be blessed. And here they're right on the edge. And in Numbers chapter number 13, we, we see an, an account. 
Now, normally when, I, when we do go through this, and my normal style is that I look at the positives. And we try to find the positive statements. But today, just be, not because it's Father's Day, but we're going to do the opposite. We're going to look at the negatives. So we have three negatives that we see in this passage. And it comes down to what I believe determines my actions. There's three negative points there. It says, when I fail to live by faith, I will naturally doubt God's word, discourage others, and disobey God's commands. Now, we're going to talk about some negatives, but we're going to turn them around into some positives at the end. I promise you. Because when we fail to live by faith, now here we're not talking about our salvation. The Bible says that when you place your trust upon Jesus Christ as your Savior, you repent of your sins. The Bible says that Jesus Christ comes into your life and God through the Holy Spirit washes you clean. He washes you white as snow. He makes you clean and makes you pure. He no longer sees you for the culmination of your failures and your past sins. He sees you for through, God sees you through Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing with that is that we're not questioning our salvation in regards to am I saved, am I not saved. What we're talking about here is that when we are moving, we're supposed to be moving forward in our relationship with God, but we cannot serve ourselves and our fear and serve God in faith at the same time. You cannot have it all. A Christian apologist and author Ravi Zacharias tells a story and really gives a more modern-day proverb, an Indian story. And he tells the story this way. He says, when in India you're crossing the street, it's either you or the bus. It cannot be both. And that's a good lesson to learn. If you're crossing the road and the car coming, it's either you or the car. It cannot be both. When we're living by faith and living for God or we're living for ourselves in fear, it cannot be both. We're not talking about our salvation. We're not talking about our eternity. We're talking about our daily life on earth. Those, those three points again. We will doubt God's word. We will discourage others. And we will end up disobeying God's commands. Let's begin in the first. I'm going to walk through these quite quickly. But the good thing is, we have no next 11 o'clock service, so actually we can go as long as we want today, can't we? This is a good day. So this is fun. This is my Father's Day gift. Thank you very much. What I believe determines my actions. The first one is, when I fail to live by faith, I will naturally doubt God's word. That's our first. In Numbers chapter number 13, verses 1 and 2, they, the children of Israel have come to the edge of the landing of Canaan, and it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Notice that last phrase of verse number 2. He says, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Even there, he had reminded them that this is your land. And the, and the nation of Israel had gathered one, of the, one spy from each of the 12 tribes of, e, of Israel, and they were going to send them into the land of Canaan to check it out. And over the course of 40 days, they go from bottom to top they, and, and back again, looking over the land, spying it out. And they all came back with a report that they actually all agreed on. But here we have something that's 
it says there, which I am giving to the people of Israel. These 12 spies came back, and they were thinking physical. Now, as a man, now I'm sure women, you're probably the same way too. You get hungry, you think physical. I'm hungry. You're hot, you want something to keep you warm. You're cold, you want something to keep you cool. We often think in the physical in regards to what makes us comfortable and what makes us happy. What we find here is that's exactly what was taking place with these 12 spies. They were thinking through and experiencing the physical. But with this, we see some incredible physical blessings that God gives to us. He gives us just enough to be obedient. He gives us just enough to be the person that God has created you to be. So therefore, what God has blessed you with, you can say, thank you, God, for giving me what you've given to me. Rather than focusing upon what is not given to you, you can say, thank you, God, for what you have given to me. In Psalm 23, verse 1, that well-known psalm, thinking of God's protection and provision, we think of the physical, and it starts off with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He gives us what we need. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It gives us the source. Where's the source? The source is Jesus Christ. We can try to fulfill every other physical need of ours, but when it comes down to it, it be, the source of our physical needs is, is found in Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, this is an encouraging verse. It says, and God is able to make, and notice the word all through this. God is able to make all grace. Remember the word grace is a word that simply, or a very basic definition is God's favor upon the undeserving. God's favor upon the undeserving, and he's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in and it says every good work which to be consistent he should have said all but in every good work you know what's amazing there is he's giving you just enough to do exactly what he wants you to do in the practical in the every good work the beautiful thing we find here is it takes all the pressure off of you and I to perform, and we simply are obedient to what God has called us to do. We still have to work hard. We still have to get, get up every, every morning. You, know, you claim that verse tomorrow morning, say, God says he's going to supply every need of mine, so I'm going to roll over and just go to bed. That's not what it says there. You know, if you can try that before you go and have a test at school, you know, God says he'll supply every need of mine, so therefore I don't have to, uh, uh, don't test God in that way. What we find here is that God gives us the ability, gives us the time, gives us the resources in order to be obedient. And the beautiful thing we find there is that we get to respond to that in faith. And the, these 12 spies came back with a report after 40 days walking through the land of Canaan. They came back and they were in agreement. They agreed with the biblical response of, sorry, they, they agreed <coughs> excuse me, I need, a, I need a cough again, so excuse me. <coughs> I'm not getting sick, I promise. 
the 12 spies agreed. They agreed a couple of things. One, it was a fruitful land. They said it was a land, as it says in Numbers chapter 13, verse 27, it flows with milk and honey. It was fruitful. They came back with these clusters of grapes that were so large they had to carry them on a stick between two people. They, this land, and if you're lactose intolerant, you may not think that milk and honey sounds all that good, but they were, they were thrilled with this. They're saying this is the land that God promised. It is absolutely incredible. It's better than we ever imagined. They also agreed, all 12 spies agreed that there were giants in the land. They agreed that there were cities in the land that had walls around them that dwarfed them compared to what they were. They agreed there was a good land. They agreed that there was giants in the land. But how they responded to that was very different. Two of the 10, 12 spies, two of the 12 spies, Caleb and Joshua, the two names that we actually remember, of the 12, they came back and said, with God, absolutely we can conquer this land. The 10 other spies came back and go, no, we can't. They're too big for us. We cannot do this. It says in verse number, um, Numbers 13, verse 30 and 31, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. Both saw exactly the same thing. The two, Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that, that said they saw the same thing the ten spies saw. The ten spies responded in fear. The others responded in faith. When we fail to live by faith, we will naturally doubt God's word. God says, but I will be with you. I am giving you this land. In James chapter number one, verses six and eight, we're going to read in just a moment. It talks about how we're called to respond when God, when we're seeking God. It talks about responding in no doubt. Now, the difference is, it's not as in I'm stubborn and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to listen to any other argument. Have you ever been in, in a discussion or an argument with somebody? Or I'll use you know, a discussion with your wife. And I'll use men as the example. And then halfway through the discussion or argument, you discover that you are actually wrong. And the skill is how do you turn that argument around to make it sound like you were right all along? And that's when the real skill is, and I've yet to accomplish that. But you know, that's not being stubborn. We're talking about here. What we're saying is, when God has called us to do something, we're responding in faith. I'm not going to doubt that. I'm not going to respond in faith and in fear. It says in James chapter 1, verses 6 and 8, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 8 says, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's not what we want to be. We want to be people of strength and power. But when we doubt God and doubt God's word, we also, we bring others down with us. And that's the second point, is we discourage others. We naturally bring others down. Your discouragement and your lack of faith will not naturally encourage somebody else to live by faith. We often think through in our, in our minds that just because I have an idea, 
then it must be the correct idea. If you ever try to skim rocks across the pond, you know that there are certain types of rocks that work really well. The flat ones work well, and it skims along, and then you can impress your kids by throwing them along and getting like, you know, five or six skips. <laughs> and then they throw it along, and they get two, and they're excited about the two. But you, you have someone that comes along with a large round rock, and they are determined to skim that rock. And they throw it into the water, and it makes a splash, and it doesn't skip at all. And then they get mad, thinking, why didn't it work for me? Because you know, or we know, there's a certain way to throw a rock, a certain angle you have to take in order for it to, to skim. You can't just think, I want to skim a rock and throw any rock in any way and expect it to work out. In the book of Deuteronomy, which is a parallel account to Numbers chapter 13, which tells the same story. This is Moses is encouraging the children of Israel. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. But that ripple effect in that pond, when, they, when those tw- ten spies threw in that big boulder, it made a splash and it rippled along and, and the entire nation was affected negatively. When you throw a big rock into a pond, it's going to make a splash and it's going to ripple along and make negative effects. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, it says, And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us the, into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? And, go, and then, then they cast blame. Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. You notice it says they're fortified up to heaven. That's a pretty extreme thing. They're saying there the walls are so incredibly high. Another passage says we are like grasshoppers before them. And what they're saying there is they may have said these cities are huge and they're like giants, and then things get bigger and bigger and bigger, and they begin to grow, and they grow, and then they become smaller and smaller, and their God that they serve becomes weaker and weaker. When we discourage, when we fail to live by faith, we discourage others. But when we have fear, and we fail to live by faith, there are consequences to that. Remember, I began with, you can't live for yourself and live for God at the same time and expect God's blessings. Ravi Zacharias, who I quoted earlier, that Christian author and apologist, who actually he passed away earlier this year, he's quoted in saying this, Consequences are bound to the choices you make. You can have your choice, but you cannot choose your consequence. We have the free will given to us by God to choose to live in faith or in fear, but we cannot choose the result or the consequences of living in fear. In Numbers chapter number 14, verse 18, this account continues on. The Lord, this is God talking, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving the iniquity and transgressions, but he will by no means clear the guilty. This is Moses talking, sorry. And then he goes on and Moses asks God for forgiveness. And it says, please pardon the iniquity of the people according to the greatness of your steadfast love. 
just as you have forgiven the people from Egypt until now. In other words, you've forgiven the people again and again and again, all the way through this journey, these people, you've had to forgive them. And then verse 20 says, And the Lord says, I have pardoned according to your word. That's the end of verse number 20. They are forgiven, but there's still consequences of their, for their unbelief. And verse 21, it continues on. But truly, this is God talking. But truly, as I live, as all of the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen the glory, uh, see my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness that I that have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. What we see here is that. God had given them a consequence or a judgment. All of the adults from 20 years and up were not going to enter into the land of Canaan. goes on later and we find out that for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. That entire generation now became adults. The only two that were spared was Caleb and Joshua who responded in faith. Even Moses himself was not given the privilege of going into the promised land. A very extreme example of this, when we doubt God's word and we experience, we, we discourage others, we face the consequences. A very extreme example is a person that is a murderer. If you murder someone, God can forgive you, but you're still going to go to prison. You don't claim, I don't need to go to prison because I'm forgiven by God. If you perform a, 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 a crime, you're going to have consequences. God can forgive you, but you're still going to have the consequences. When we respond in fear over faith, there are consequences. In this next part, the next point is that we naturally disobey God's commands. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is in Judges, chapter number 16, verse 20. With a little bit of background, we have, we have Samson, the judge of Israel, who had, we often stereotypically think of Samson as some incredibly ripped man, but he was a man that had strength given to him by God, and he was referred to as a Nazarite. And underneath the Nazarite law, they would not eat certain things, they would not touch certain things, and they would not cut their hair. And the source of his strength was determined upon his obedience. And Samson did not live a life that was followed after God. He followed after God, then he wouldn't follow after God. And he got involved with a woman named Delilah. You've probably heard of Samson and Delilah. And Delilah convinced Samson to tell her what the source of his strength were. And the stereotypically, we think of Samson as some big ripped man. But you know how I picture him? Because if God gave him the strength, I picture him as the scrawniest guy with the narrowest biceps and had incredible strength given to him by God that wasn't natural at all. And everyone looked at him and go, how is that guy so strong? It's because of God. And Samson with Delilah, he was asleep and the Philistines were around them and she cut his hair or had a barber come and cut his hair. And when he woke up, Delilah said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he says this, Verse 20, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. He had incredible confidence. The saddest 
part of this verse, and really one of the saddest verses in the Bible, is this. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know the Lord had left him. I don't want to live apart from God for one moment of one day. As a pastor of a church, as a, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, we are constantly under his control and his power. And we must, we must respond in faith and not in fear. And the children of Israel went on, and it's recorded in the book of first in Deuteronomy chapter 1, but also in Numbers chapter 13, where the children of Israel thought, well, God forgave us again. We're just going to keep on going and move towards this land. I'm going to read verses, verses 40 through 45, and then we'll make some concluding statements. It says, And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We are going to the place that the Lord has promised, for we, for we have sinned. God has just told them, you're not going to the land. But they go, we've sinned, but we're going to keep on going. Verse 41, but Moses says, Why are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you lest you be struck down before your enemies. It goes on in verse number 44. And they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. In other words, they were going themselves. God was over there and they were going that way. It goes on in verse 45. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them. They were defeated by the enemy because they were going out and doing things their own way. And quite honestly and literally, they were doing the opposite of what God had called them to do. The remainder of this month, we're going to be talking about Activate and how we as a local church and you as individuals can be activated for ministry, both practically, spiritually, and financially, how we can connect with God's plan and purpose. This next Saturday night, this Saturday night coming, we have Activate, an, an evening where we're going to develop our, the, the similar language so we're all on the same page. It's not an evening where we go, hmm, how can we use you? It's quite the opposite. It's the attitude of how can we come alongside you to help you live by faith and not by fear. But through the course of this month, we're talking about our practical service. We're also talking about our responsibility in regards to world missions. And we're going to be challenging you as individuals to simply ask this question and then respond in faith and not in fear. The question is, God, how do you want me to be involved in world missions? Is it to go? That would be the greatest honor to have someone from our church go out as a missionary. We can come alongside them and support them and pray for them. Maybe it's that you are called to financially support missions, and we do it through a, a program called Faith Promise Missions, where over and above our tithes and our offerings, we give a, an amount that is placed on your heart by God every week in regards to world missions, and it's called Faith Promise. By faith, I'm going to claim the promise that God's placed upon my heart to give this amount, then 100% of that goes out to world missions. Or maybe it's a matter of active service, or maybe it's all three. We simply want you to ask God, God, how do you want me to be involved in world missions? And you can ask a similar prayer, God, how do you want me to be activated? And how do you want me to be part of this, my sphere around me? 
in regards to my family, in regards to my workplace, in regards to my school, in regards to my church. And when God places a burden upon your heart, when He's the one that guides you, it's not the church that's pushing you along and telling you what to do. It's God who's guiding you along the way. You have a choice. Will you respond in faith or in fear? Because when we do not live by faith, we naturally doubt God's word, we discourage others, and we end up disobeying God's command. In a moment, we're going to close in prayer. My challenge to you as I pray, that you pray silently along in your mind, saying, God, what do you want me to do? And when God, not if God, but when God guides you and molds you, that you will, you will respond in faith. Why don't you stand with me as we close? Lord, I want to thank you for the accounts we find both positive but also sometimes negative in your word that we can learn from. And Lord, I pray that we will learn the lesson of the children of Israel so that we won't have to follow through and do that ourselves. Lord, I pray that we will claim the promise that you say, that you say, uh, but I will be with you. So in the times of difficulty, in the times of uncertainty, when we don't know what the doctor is going to say, we don't know how the finances are going to work, we don't know how we're going to be physically safe, we can claim the promise, but I will be with you. Lord, And I pray that that will change our attitude, it will change our perspective, but also with that, Lord, we want to see you work in our lives as individuals. We want to turn that around as active praise and say, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. Lord, we want to celebrate as a church family your protection and your provision. And Lord, I pray that you will do what you promised to do. That you will guide us. You will direct us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And in Jesus' name, amen.